0: Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 9th of July, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick.
1: Great to be with you, Mike.
0: Okay, let's get started. Uh, Grant Shapps, well, he's been in the news today. Um, travel update he was tweeting out uh, uh, yesterday. From Monday, the 19th of July, 4 a.m., British fully vaccinated adults will not need to isolate from amber list countries, including those on clinical trials another step to fully reopening international travel. Children under 18 will not need to self-isolate. So he gave a briefing to the House of Commons and this is what he had to say. I don't
2: underestimate for a second uh, just how difficult the last 16 months have been for those who've not been able to travel, to see their families and for travel tourism and for the aviation sector itself, of course. And no minister, let alone the transport secretary, would want to ever curtail our freedom And ask people not to travel but protecting public health has rightly been and will continue to be our overriding priority of this government and that's why we introduced some of the toughest border measures in the world but we are now thanks to our brilliant vaccination program in a position where we can start to think about how we live with coronavirus while returning life to a sense of normality And last week I said at this dispatch box that the government intended to ease restrictions on fully vaccinated travellers returning from amber list countries. Well, now I'm pleased to be able to provide more detail as one of the world's most vaccinated countries. uh, we We must use these advantages to restore many of the freedoms that have been necessarily lost over recent months. So I can confirm today that from the 19th of July... UK residents who are fully vaccinated through the uk vaccine rollout will no longer have to self-isolate when they return to England. They'll still be required uh, to take three day, uh, test three days before returning the pre-departure test demonstrating the negative before they travel uh, and a PCR test on or before day two, but they will no longer be required to take a day eight test. in essence, This means that for fully vaccinated travellers, the requirements for green and amber list countries are the same. To be clear, a full vaccination means 14 days have passed since your final dose of the vaccine. And it's also important to note that health health matters are devolved. So decision-making and implementation may
0: differ across UK administrations. So it's devolved. Uh, People will have different rules, different parts of the country, because there's no common law anymore.
1: No standardization. No standardization. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing, right?
0: Yes, but there are a couple of things I wanted to pick out of that. First of all, the suggestion that uh, you're fully vaccinated after 14 days following your final dose. Now, was that a a slip of the tongue? Did he mean second dose or does he mean... Actually, you're not fully vaccinated until you've had your booster and then another booster and then so on. So, on. so final dose seems to be the new language of the day. Uh, but he said, we're going to get a sense of normality. We're not uh, going to have normality back. We're going to get a sense of normality. So, a few confusing things that he says there, but it got even more confusing this morning uh, on BBC Breakfast uh, because, uh, well, this is what he said, Patrick, and it's very strange. We know he said that double vaccinated or fully vaccinated people are much more likely to get and also carry the coronavirus. And that therefore, that's why they've decided that they're going to release the lockdown, because really, we've just got to start living with the thing. So just think about that. Fully vaccinated people are much more likely to get and also carry the coronavirus.
1: And just to be clear, that was on the BBC this morning, right? Yes. Uh, on, on the breakfast on program. On breakfast, yes. So in case it's a, he, he claims this was a miss. A spoken statement or not? Oh. Uh, it's on record, so we're waiting for uh, clarification. Clarification on that. I might add as well, Mike. Uh, you know, they talk a lot about public health, but you know, the majority of the public is very healthy, very young and healthy, in fact. So, but yet they're chasing them or coercing them uh, to be vaccinating, chasing down every last person. What does that have to do with public health, especially in light of? Grant Shapps' last statement, which you just showed. Uh,
0: yes, so um, when Grant Shapps tweeted that out yesterday, the responses were quite interesting. So here, here's one of them. Uh, Pure medical coercion, says uh, Ross Dyer. Uh, Discrimination and apartheid through experimental jab that still permits infection and transmission. Grant Shapps seems to have confirmed that once again. Uh, Shame on you for this despicable manipulative action designed to force people into a medical trial and ostracize those who wish... To exercise bodily autonomy. Do you agree with that?
1: I think that's a pretty widely held view uh, around the world by millions and millions, if not billions of people.
0: Um, but uh, maybe this gives uh, another clue as to thinking of some, uh, because this is really uh, uh, something that perhaps a lot of people, have view that a lot of people hold, taking a stand is important, but Majorca, um, it's much more important to be able to go to Majorca perhaps.
1: That's right, getting drunk on the beach uh, for two weeks, uh, in, uh, in Benidorm, Mike, that's actually the most important thing. So people are willing to give up their bodily autonomy, their uh, common law, their rights, all of that for two weeks in Benidorm.
0: Yep. Uh, well, what's going on with British Airways then?
1: Well, just as on the back of uh, Grant Chap's statement here, this was a tweet out. This is from uh, Alex Macheris. He's the aviation correspondent for a number of uh, media outlets there. So British Airways' response to this, While the quarantine requirement for, quote, amber countries is being lifted for fully vaccinated UK travelers, citizens and residents who are vaccinated in the UK, the government needs to quickly extend this to all vaccinated uh, travelers here. So what's going on here, Mike? The, the, uh, The British Airways is basically buttressing what is effectively a medical apartheid policy. Government policy right now is medical apartheid is a vaccine passports by fiat or making it very difficult if not harassing uh, any travelers who did not opt uh, for the uh, experimental uh, vaccine uh, that they're going to make life very difficult for them so why why is ba weighing in in this fashion. Yeah, I
0: th- I think you're being a little hard on them there to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I think BA is is really facing an existential threat along with other major airlines. Um and BA at this point is really just begging for the opportunity to carry more people. Um so they're saying extend this to the broader vaccinated community please government. They're begging the government to allow them to carry more people at this point. We have to say uh, that our information from BA insiders is that BA is not requiring uh, pilots and other staff to be—it's not a mandatory vaccination policy within BA at the moment. So, so you know, this I think, if we're being fair to them, I think they are attempting to to uh, get as broad a spread of potential customers here as they possibly can.
1: Well, I think the big picture, Mike, is that uh, so they're not requiring their own staff, uh, pilots, crew, staff, etc., to be vaccinated. But it seems like by by fiat, the government and the airlines here are supporting that all passengers should get vaccinated. So again, it's uh, two sets of rules, one for the essential workers, and we're not picking on a BA here. I'm saying there's a general trend forming. We'll show some other hypocrisy uh, in a moment along these lines. But I think this is by design. The last thing I'm gonna say, Mike, is that uh, I don't think the some of these airlines know they're going to get bailouts from the government. Uh, because the government has intentionally destroyed the aviation industry from a commercial standpoint. Mm. And when, it, when enough of them are suffering and on their last legs, the government will come in, as it has done throughout the pandemic and in the 2008 financial crisis, they will pick the winners and the losers, or they'll do a GM-style uh, buyout and buy shares in some of these and basically take control of a, a much more consolidated uh, aviation industry that will eventually be more expensive uh, and again, with all of the different rules and caveats for travel uh, yeah. implemented in there, so I think this chaos is by absolutely by design.
0: Uh, you, you could very well be correct on that one, uh, but just just a sort of side is- issue on the aviation issue here, uh, Patrick. With respect to sort of great reset and green new deal, I just thought this was quite amusing that the EU is drafting uh, some legislation at the moment, or sorry, rather the European Commission, because that uh, the uh, the headline's a bit misleading there. The European Commission is drafting legislation which would exempt private jets uh, and also cargo planes from uh, fiet, uh, jet fuel tax. But the private jets aspect of this really has triggered some people because uh, clearly um, that would be the uh, the Great Reset set themselves that uh, are going to most benefit from that.
1: Well, fancy that. Is, is this what the Great Reset is really all about, Mike? Two sets of rules, one for Al Gore, and the private jet setters and the Davos elite, and the rest, well, we'll pay for the uh, Green New Deal, we'll pay in our carbon taxes, we'll suffer. But if you've got the money, if you're Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates and you've got your own private jet on standby, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, all these guys, uh, it's a totally different set of rules. And they're the ones pushing for all of these new green uh, taxes and restrictions and pushing for the great reset. Isn't that amazing how it works out? Isn't it?
0: Yes, now, uh, what's Lockdown Skeptics talking about uh, with respect to vaccine safety then?
1: Well, we're gonna be talking about vaccine safety in in a minute, Mike, but uh, before we do that, I just wanted to point people to a few good resources. Obviously, the UK column has the yellow card data, which is up to date uh, every week for adverse reactions and injuries. But look at this, Lockdown Skeptics also has a very useful page right here that highlights a lot of the sort of important statements being made uh, by uh, influential people within the medical establishment, within politics, and also tracking mainstream media coverage on this issue. Here's one uh, right here. Oops, we have a little bug there. Yeah, indeed. So we'll have to, uh, I'll I'll explain what's Well, you read it out there. Uh, Yeah, it's a JCVI member, Professor Robert Dingwald suggested that it is safer to let children catch COVID-19 uh, than to vaccinate them. And, and this isn't the only person saying this. So this is in, uh, this was in the Telegraph, by the way. Right. Like this is going against everything that all these government ministers are saying uh, that, and that the mainstream media pundits are saying as well. So, and, and again, I, I encourage people to go to that page at Lockdown Skeptics, look at the links there, look at the, the resources there. And then it's important to also share that information if you think that it's important.
0: Okay, more good news for everybody because uh, the COVID infection rate is three times lower in the vaccinated, according to the government. This is a, well, it's not just according to the government, but this is uh, the results of the latest React study. Um, and uh, well, who's running it is the first question. Um, well, of course, it's Imperial College. Uh, they're involved. Uh, also, uh, health, the uh, NHS, the sorry, the Imperial College uh, Healthcare NHS Trust and Ipsos Mori. Uh, Now, of course, just to remember that Imperial College uh, have received more than $300 million from the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Just a coincidence, but anyway. Um, So what are they saying? Let's have a look at the results. Uh, 237 of 47,729 RT-PCR swab results were positive, Patrick. Um, But of course, we've got to keep in mind that SAGE has already made the point that 2.3% Two point three percent of all tests are false positives, uh, and therefore this is half a percent, isn't it? So, so how many of those are false positives? Possibly all, but anyway, it moves on. We move on. Uh, in page in people aged sixty four or younger, the prevalence of infection amongst those that had received two doses of vaccine was zero point three five percent, compared with one point one five percent amongst those who had not received any vaccine. Okay. So just think about that again, in people aged 64 or younger, the prevalence of infection amongst those who'd received two doses was 0.35% with 1.15% amongst those who had not received any vaccine. But here's another report from Imperial College London called Coronavirus Infections Continue to Grow. This is also related to the REACT study and it said that the biggest rise was seen in secondary school children, secondary school aged children aged 13 to 17 where infections were eight times higher than previous findings with around one and 70 infected. How do those two positions correlate? Because that age group is certainly unvaccinated.
1: Yeah, so this is absolutely deceptive in how they're framing uh, the findings of this so-called study, Mike. But again, the, the, the garbage in, garbage out regarding data. And uh, the PCR test is not a, a, not a diagnostic test, and it's totally unreliable uh, in diagnosing any active infection. So again, you probably have to throw the whole thing out, but we keep seeing this time and time again. All of these studies, all of these data sets by governments are relying On PCR test results. Uh,
0: So let's move on. Uh, They then went on to say that uh, they have a weighting method where age, sex, local authority counts, uh, ethnicity and deprivation, and for rounds 1 to 11 for the differences due to the sampling method. So let me just explain this. Um, So uh, the biggest, sorry, basically what they're saying here is that they have changed the methodology uh, between the current rounds 12 and 13 and for rounds 1 to 11. So they, they had differences in the sampling methods between the two. So again we've got a methodology change here. They then applied exponential growth models to estimate the reproduction number R between rounds 12 and 13 uh, and, th- and 13 interim and within round 13 interim. Uh, we also estimated R for differing cut points of cycle threshold values for swab positivity and among people not reporting symptoms in the week prior to the swab. It's estimates, it's change of methodology methodology halfway through, so you can't compare what's going on now with what happened three three months
1: ago. And using the R number as well to sort of uh, exponential growth models. I mean, did Neil Ferguson design this study? It it looks like something he would do.
0: So they obtained a self-administered throat and nose swab uh, that was kept refrigerated and then sent by courier for RT-PCR testing. The sampling procedure in round 12 and round 13 differed from previous rounds insofar as we selected the random sample to be in, the, in proportion to population at lower tier local authority level. Whereas previously we aimed for similar uh, numbers of participants in each uh, lo- local authority uh, level. So anyway, uh, they go on to say, we estimated vaccine effectiveness from odds ratios in a logistical, in a logistic model. <laughs>
1: Is is this been published? Are they putting this, this is, in the public? This is absolutely in the public. This is really
0: bad. Okay, so um, uh, they also said that a reported contact. Sorry, they were talking about a re- reported contacts with COVID nineteen cases. Well, those the reported contacts with COVID nineteen cases, of course, are based on uh, the effect of the surveys of Ipsos Mori who were helping them uh, distribute tests and get. Recruit people for this. So anyway, the point here is that uh, this, as you say, um, is basically a junk report. It's not science. Um, they're changing their methods as they go. There's no consistency through it, and there's also no way to correlate uh, any of the statistics that are produced from this with any other data. So you can't sort of uh, you can't compare and you can't confirm. How can they continue to push this stuff out and expect? Um, people to really believe what they're saying
1: because they're laundering it under the reputation of Imperial College uh, if, if, if it has any reputation left uh, after the last 15 months but that's the only selling point of this so-called study is that it's got an Imperial College logo at the top of it
0: so uh, just to highlight again Ian Davis's article and thanks to Ian for uh, helping me with that uh, with that report but uh, why we must question vaccine efficacy and safety claims. If you haven't read this yet, please do read it and try to get to grips with the fact that, well, there isn't much actual real science going on here.
1: There's no science. And if you look at this article, it really chronicles well, Mike, the fact that the pharmaceutical companies have rigged their own sort of trials. And you know that's not a, a controversial thing to say. They, they do this regularly because they're not really regulated what the government is now doing is saying to the pharmaceutical companies study your own products tell us how it goes and then show us the results and then we'll you know give you the stamp of approval probably we will give you the stamp of approval and that's what happens there's no actual regulation no independent uh, regulation going on uh, to hold these pharmaceutical companies accountable for the wild claims that they make about their products. They've been doing this for decades. It's just gotten a lot worse in the last 15 months. Yes, now uh, on
0: Twitter this morning, uh, well, we know that their Twitter keeps pushing out, uh, you know, material on what's true and what isn't. Uh, Well, today's uh, exercise was Nuremberg Code and uh, the the Twitter advice was that COVID-19 vaccines do not violate the World War II era Nuremberg Code, according to fact checkers. (laughs) Okay, The 10-point guidelines uh, established in response to Nazi atrocities during the Holocaust were unrelated to widespread COVID vaccination efforts, according to Lead Stories, FactCheck.org, RMIT, ABC, and other fact checkers. Uh, Moreover, the Nuremberg Code does not apply to COVID-19 jabs, according to Rappler and Full Fact, uh, because they've undergone extensive clinical trials. And have received emergency use authorization around the world, uh, and they uh, then Twitter lists underneath uh, some suitable locations for you to go and get backup information. This was one of them, it was ABC, I believe. Uh, Nuremberg Code from World War II has nothing to do with coronavirus, despite bogus Facebook claims. Uh, but they say, according to fact checkers, and this is the theme of this article. So let's just have a look at one of the fact checkers, which, of course, full fact we're going to use. Uh, why is the Nuremberg Code being used to oppose COVID-19 vaccines? And in this uh, article, uh, they quote uh, this man, Dr. Ju- uh, Julian Sheather, who's from the British Medical Association. Uh, and he says, it's terrible bad faith, to be honest with you, because the Nuremberg trials were investigations into the most brutal forms of medical violation of human beings in the name of some form of research. Uh, these research subjects were tested to death and destruction, drawing a link between this final rollout of the vaccines Uh, And what the Nazi doctors were doing is morally grotesque, he said. Um, So just coming back to Twitter then, uh, they uh, added a little bit here about what we need to know. Uh, They said the code was created in 1947 following the trial of Nazi physicians who conducted involuntary experiments on prisoners. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Patrick, but we've been in lockdown for the last 14 months. Um, So uh, the comparison may not be identical, but it's Is it too far from being fair?
1: Held under duress, under house arrest en masse. Yeah, so it it certainly falls into that uh, bracket of a definition.
0: Okay, the Nuremberg Code doesn't apply to vaccines that have already been tested and received official authorization. Have these vaccines been tested?
1: Uh, No, they haven't. They waived the normal safety protocols, testing, and five, six, seven, eight-year windows on observations for an emergency use authorization. So Twitter so, says official authorization—that's good enough for the fact checkers.
0: But again, it's according to medical professionals and fact checkers. Uh, and then finally, informed consent is still required for uh, those receiving the COVID-19 or any other vaccine, according to Full Fact. Well, let's just uh, let's just break this down. And see what is morally grotesque. COVID vac- vaccines have not completed cl- clinical trials, if you just as you've just said, uh, COVID-19. 19 vaccines are therefore effectively experimental because th- there's still clinical trials going on and they're not due to be completed for another 18 months or so. Uh, the demand for cl- COVID-19 vaccines has been driven through, we might call it brutal fear-based behavioral psychology. That is a fact uh, SPY-B uh, through, and through SAGE has been uh, pushing that very, very hard. Uh, and demand for COVID-19 vaccines has been driven through coercion, i.e. release from the prison of lockdown and the hope that people are going on holiday and actually it has to be said huge numbers of people extremely angry that uh, even at this stage it's not terribly easy to go on holiday despite the promise that it would be uh, if had they been vaccinated Uh, and of course there is no informed consent because the vaccine debate has been shut down in the mainstream media on social media any vaccination uh, content on social media is immediately removed so how can there be informed consent if there's no debate, no discussion, and no uh, honesty from a certain section of society, i.e. politics?
1: No, there can't be. Informed consent, Mike, means that, let's take children, for instance, or teenagers or under 30s. Whoever's offering the the vaccine should, by informed consent rules, uh, inform them that they fall into a low risk group for COVID-19, statistically almost zero, if not zero in the case of the younger uh, children. And so if they're not informing them that by introducing a new risk, which is effectively an experimental vaccine or a pharmaceutical product, that they're adding a risk that might actually be larger than the risk of ever getting ill, much less dying, but even getting a cough, in the case of young children of COVID-19. So that's real informed consent. And also that information should also be into the packaging of the vaccines and it's not really there either. So there is not informed consent going on. And I'll add lastly, that if this was a clinical trial and there was any coercion with regards to the uh, study's subjects or any threats or threatening to withhold travel or not being able to work or not be able to go to school mixed with meet family or friends immediately the trial's over it gets shut down mm. because that is an uh, intentional uh, program of coercion uh, blackmail in some cases total manipulation so the study is really null and void at that point point. and since they've extended this clinical trial to the general population which itself is unprecedented and all these bits of coercion and manipulation and propaganda spending Hundreds of millions on propaganda, the government is okay. Then that public clinical trial, that giant experiment is also should be shut down, it should be null and void. And that is the uh, general uh, thrust of a number of open letters that have been sent to the European Medicines Agency by uh, doctors for COVID ethics and so many other advocacy groups, and Tesselari as well, uh, the doctor who has also challenged the MHRA on this very point. I mean, the Evidence is replete,
0: uh, and now. just to just to remind everybody, the scale of the government budget for government advertising at the moment, much of which, if not most of which, possibly all of which, is going on this particular topic, one point six billion pounds.
1: If that's not state coercion, <laughs> institutional coercion on a mass scale, never seen before in human history, I don't know what is. So to compare it with what happened in World War Two, mm. uh, we're talking about some major powerful forces here that are really pushing a medical uh, agenda, an experimental medical agenda. Anybody wants to debate about the experimental nature of uh, messenger RNA untested on humans prior to this round of, of, of trials, uh, I think we're, we can easily win that debate.
0: Yes. Now, what's been going on in Australia then, Patrick?
1: Well, a lot of people have commented, Mike, that they have absolutely lost the plot down under. Uh, I don't think it's too hard to argue um, uh, that one here, but look at this. New South Wales minister hits back over the uh, move to vaccinate the 160 students at St. Joseph's College. This is an elite private boarding school, uh, one of the top in Australia here. Uh, with the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine. So what happened? Let's take a look at this story. It's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, The move to vaccinate 160 students at the school with the Pfizer jab, despite most people below 40, not yet being eligible for the vaccine, was blasted as obscene. Now, mind you, Mike, this is how the story is generally first being framed Mm -hmm. uh, in the headlines. In the media, they're saying that, oh, the wealthy students are getting the vaccine first ahead of all of the other Australians. Australia's running at about a 5% vaccination rate nationally. So that's how it's being framed by a lot of the media, but let's just delve a little bit deeper here, Mike, and look at this. Well, this is in the other article, we'll go back to it, but this was due to an error. The health department says that Sydney private school uh, students in year 12 were given the Pfizer jab. This is what happened. New South Wales Health agreed to vaccinate only the aboriginal students at the elite St. Joseph's College. But through an error, everyone in year 12, all of the boarding students, were accidentally injected with the mRNA Pfizer gene jab. So it, it looks like you could say it was kind of a eugenics move, uh, some might say. I know that might sound extreme, but why would you want to only put the experimental Pfizer gene jab in the aboriginal students. I think there were 16 aboriginal students, but by some clerical error, all of them, even the native uh, Anglo-Australian students all got jabbed. Okay, and so there's outrage. How could they dare make that mistake? Let's listen to uh, uh, Mr. Hazard, no pun intended, he's the uh, New South Wales health minister. Now he's challenged about this, this incident at at a recent press conference. Listen closely to his reaction. What
2: what I find more embarrassing, James, is you would make that sort of question accusation against frontline health staff who work their butts off and who tomorrow will have achieved a a million vaccinations into arms. You know what? The school intended it well, there was a mistake and so what? It's happened. Out of a million vaccinations, move on.
0: <laughs> That's quite incredible.
1: So, t- no big deal. Move on. We've, we've got a million jabs in arms. So, just go back to the story here, Mike, and uh, just a little more detail here. So, the Teachers' Federation Senior Vice President Amber Foam uh, called it absolutely obscene. It highlights the, again, she's playing the inequity. Uh, that exist across our society. So she's playing the, 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 the equity card here, Mike, uh, and that uh, somehow the aboriginal students were robbed of their mRNA jab. I mean, this reminds me the Palestinians sending the Israelis 90,000 doses, rejecting them uh, because they didn't trust what the Israelis were sending the Palestinians in terms of Pfizer jabs. But uh, And then just further on, that sort of behavior is not going to get us through the pandemic. Okay, so then, okay. Then the question is, is there a pandemic in Australia? Okay, so let's go to the, uh, the data here. Let's look at this uh, daily cases uh, per million here. This is our world in data. So, you know, this is an official source of COVID cases. And we're just running along the timeline here. Look on the bottom. Uh, we're into June 2020, summer of 2020, August, September moving forward to the present november december that's last christmas january coming up now to the spring april may june and look at yeah, australia but of course it's
0: not the spring in australia
1: oh yeah our spring yeah but look at australia okay there's they they were white the whole time and now they're just a kind of a shade of beige mike i mean so there's well and
0: and the lightest shade of beige which on the on the the, the uh at the bottom there, that's uh, somewhere in the region of zero point five to two point five. What is that cases per per million?
1: Something. There's there's so, some there's somewhere between Equatorial Guinea and Greenland, uh, with regards to pandemic status here. So there's like nothing really uh, going on there. And here thirty thousand quote cases since February twenty twenty. And again, those are all PCR uh, cases. So how many of those are actual infections? Probably not very many. Probably not uh, very many there. So, and again, regarding the PCR, we just have to point people to a number of uh, articles and studies that are available freely online. Here's one from the Children's Health Defense PCR testing saga, were we duped? Ask Dr. Joseph Morcola and all of the uh, data and information and evidence that we, yes, we were duped on the PCR test is actually in this article. This is a great uh, reference and resource. Uh, right here. And again, we can go to, for instance, the BMJ. There's a number of uh, great articles and studies here. COVID-19 mass testing is inaccurate and gives a false sense of security, minister uh, admits here. It's another very interesting study. There's just so many of these. Why isn't the mainstream media or any of the government ministers interested uh, in this fundamental fact that all of these cases and variants and so forth are all predicated on what is effectively a bogus diagnostic test.
0: Okay, let's move on. If you like what the UK Column does and you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. Uh, And also we are of course on some of the platforms. And if you find us there, please uh, do share our material. Um, Of course, the source of information if you really want to find the UK Column is at ukcolumn.org. And uh, don't forget that because uh, we still get emails from people saying, I haven't seen you on YouTube for a while.
1: <laughs> go to ukcolumn.org and watch direct, direct from, from the website itself.
0: Uh, and Patrick, uh, the special limited edition t-shirt is back.
1: It is. Uh, we're, this is the last uh, run we'll do for the UK Column shop. So, of course, anybody in the community, uh, go to the ukcolumn.org. And this is Loving the Old Normal, and this is soft spun chocolate cotton and on the back we are all essential this is the protest shirt to have this summer mike this will trigger new normals it's guaranteed if you if you wear this through your local town you will trigger all of the new normals. so if you enjoy getting that reaction striking up a conversation talking about klaus schwab and the great reset and COVID and everything this is a great icebreaker this is the shirt you want it's available in unisex all sizes so get one of these while they still last. But, Mike, even more important here, look at it. We are pioneering new packaging. So if you order this shirt, you will get our no-COVID state-of-the-art packaging. We have been developing this very hard, working in our labs. And so Coroni cannot survive on this material. This is special, special material we've imported. Has it
0: been gone through clinical trials?
1: It has. This is is imported from Australia. This is a state-of-the-art from uh, the Victoria state. So anyway, COVID cannot survive on this. We've actually done a peer reviewed trial or we've done a clinical trial on this and uh, the trial was 24 hours long. So we're sending it off to uh, Christian Drosten uh, to review our paper and we're expecting he's gonna approve that by tomorrow. So it's absolutely COVID safe.
0: Good stuff, okay. Getting back to the serious stuff then. Uh, The Mail this morning, uh, pushing this out, Moderna begins its first human trials for flu shot based on new mRNA technology used to make the company's COVID-19 vaccine. So brilliant. Uh, I believe the COVID-19 vaccine for Moderna was their first ever commercial product and they're following up very quickly. So this is fantastic stuff. Uh, They're gonna use 180 participants in their clinical trials, uh, which are in early stages and looking at safety and efficacy. So what do we have here, Patrick? If we believe what the mail has reported here, if they're looking at safety and efficacy, then they have merged the uh, uh, level one, level two trials um, and because uh, stage one trials, sorry, are for safety only. Stage two trials start to look at efficacy, um, but they seem to have merged those together. Uh, you would normally expect maybe 10 or 20 people in stage one trials and maybe 100 people or so in stage two trials. Uh, I'm taking the male's word for it that that's what's happened, but it looks like uh, the new normal involves throwing out decades of uh, uh, clinical trial uh, processes and procedures and replacing them with, well, we can do it in five minutes, a bit like your
1: But you are a great trial for. Yes. Yes. Look, it's absolute science fiction to believe that a new technology like this can be understood and we can understand the safety implications within a few months. We simply cannot. And by the way, the last flu shot that's been going for I don't know how many years, it's not exactly a big success, uh, is it? So, but there's been no questioning, you know, as to the efficacy of the previous flu shot. It's just rolled out and distributed and everyone should get the flu shot. Whether it works or not, it doesn't seem to to matter to the people pushing it. And again, we're seeing the same thing here. The big worry, Mike, is that this will enter the market before the COVID vaccine uh, and all of that data and those trials are even can complete, yes. even complete. So you, the level of corruption here is really something like it's never been witnessed before, uh, not in you know modern industrial human history. Yes.
0: Um, well, uh, more good news. It's been a very good news kind of program, but uh, the BBC Group annual report and accounts are out. Uh, and it's, uh, well, 700,000 fewer license, pay, license fee payers this year compared to last year. Um, and this is uh, actually a uh, a much steeper rate of uh, decline uh, than the previous year because the previous year they only lost 200,000. So clearly the uh, uh, BBC's COVID reporting has been successful for them and they've, they've lost uh, 700,000 more people. Uh, and uh, so let's have a look at some of the, th- the, the first few pages here. It's all very glossy and looks very nice because they've been particularly effective during COVID-19. Uh, They've been informing us all. The BBC provides an unrivaled level of local, regional, uh, national and international news and current affairs. We remain the most trusted source of news in this country and we play an important role in helping to to counter the misinformation and confusion uh, that now seems so often proliferates.
1: Who are these two women on the left hand side by the way? Are they actors or employees well there's some kind of bbc people they're looking very pensive mike yes off into the dis- distance there. Uh,
0: um they uh bbc's news reach is eight out of ten they get it and score themselves eight out of ten for that for their news reach uh it's all it's all good stuff uh, and they've been educating our children education has always been in the dna of the bbc um, and this year our education and learning content has helped support students teachers and parents during the exceptional educational challenges of the COVID pandemic.
1: I think um, that DNA is mutated, by the way.
0: It may well have so uh, lockdown learning. Five point eight million apparently children uh, accessed lockdown. Oh,
1: they are. But did they learn anything?
0: Uh, no. That's a question. Probably
1: not. Um,
0: so there you go. And uh, well, then we come on to the question of pay because this is in this report as well. So here's the press gazette summary of it. Uh, pay for top journalists up 3% is 52, earn more than £150,000 a year. So at the top of the list, we've got Hugh Edwards there uh, on four hundred and twenty five. £425,000. Uh, he's worth every penny of it. And it goes down to John Sopel at the bottom, who's on a mere uh, £220,000 or so. Uh, but uh, I was particularly interested in the wonderful Stephen Nolan, uh, from Northern Ireland, uh, he was three years younger me, than me at school, uh, so I didn't know him personally. But but uh, you know he's he's a spectacular salary. He's only earning uh, something in the region of four hundred and five thousand pounds a year.
1: Stephen Nolan's bagging four hundred grand a year. Yes. For doing what?
0: For doing a uh, BBC BBC uh, Radio Northern Ireland. Uh, program, but also BBC Five Live program as well. Is that the same, that's Stephen, the same Stephen Nolan that was chasing people around car parks
1: through petrol stations, yes. uh, chasing people who weren't wearing masks? Right, that's correct. And intimidating them yes. yeah, with the camera crew. That same guy. So
0: he's worth every penny of it. Mm. Yes. Interesting. So anyway, uh, clearly uh, we aren't getting paid enough, Patrick.
1: No, we should switch. Uh, we should switch places with them for a week. Maybe we can improve the BBC's ratings. What do you think? So this
0: is our challenge. Uh does the BBC want to take us up? You bring Hugh Edwards in here and we'll go into the six into the ten o'clock news and we'll see.
1: The gentleman's bet. See who who can raise the others' ratings. Uh I've and I, I have a slight feeling that we might win that.
0: Well uh yeah. Will they take us up on that?
1: I don't know. I don't think so.
0: Okay, let's uh, move on to this then. Um, We were, uh, if you remember, uh, speaking to Joe Boyd on this program last week. And, uh, well, here's some more information on what the police are up to with respect to protests. Uh, And this, uh, thank you to the person who sent this through to me. Uh, This is uh, from the MPCC and also the National Police Coordination Centre. It's a bit of a presentation that was given. seems to have been leaked onto the internet. uh, And... uh, it's called the Weekend Protest Briefing for Industry uh, on the 12th of the 6th, 2020. Now, I'm not clear exactly what that means, briefing for industry, but if we look at who the author is, it's the NPOCC Strategic Intelligence and Briefing. Uh, we'll see what they are in a second. And here's uh, an example of the type of information that they're giving out. They're listing all the various protests uh, around the country uh, for that week in June in 2020 so we've got protests taking place in the northeast and northwest, east midlands, west midlands, eastern and London. Um, so uh, this was commented on then um, in this document, uh, getting the balance right from uh, the Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary, uh, an inspection of how effectively the police deal with protests. So let's just have a look at a couple of uh, statements from this. Um, so they're saying how effective are national arrangements for managing protest-related intelligence and they say since the late 1990s the police have made various arrangements for managing protest-related intelligence nationally. In recent years this has fallen under the remit of counterterrorism policing. In January 2020 the MPCC decided to reallocate responsibilities. Low-level aggravated activism intelligence was transferred to the National Police Coordination Centre, NPOCC. Uh, They say the NPOCC strategic intelligence and briefing team uh, was created in April 2020. Its remit is to manage intelligence related to low-level aggravated activists and protests that have the potential to cause disorder or significant disruption on a national or cross-regional scale. It is also responsible for giving intelligence and assessment to police forces. The transfer broadly coincided with the first national lockdown, uh, which presented serious logistical problems for the new team.
1: What timing, Mike?
0: What timing. And the focus of this is on the likes of Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, the Kill the Bill types uh, uh, where there's a perception, at least being presented to a certain degree, that these are like more likely to result in sort of violent protest. But is that the case? Is that really where the target is? Well, just to remind you once again, I've got to keep pushing this because Joe Boyd's book isn't very expensive and it is very well worth reading. Let's put that on screen because we didn't have it on screen. Uh, And uh, Joe Boyd's book is very well worth reading. If you want to understand how the police operate within protest groups, uh, official protest groups, get a copy of this. It's a quick read and you'll understand a lot more. Um, But this then feeds into comments from Neil Basu, the assistant commissioner for counterterrorism at the Metropolitan Police, and he was quoted in the Evening Standard, uh, and the headline is Metropolitan Police counterterror chief uh, Neil Basu calls for action on coronavirus anti-vaxxers. Uh, so let's have a look and see what he has to say. There's a debate for society to have about free speech and responsibility, and people who are spreading misinformation that could cost people's lives. So there's a presumption that uh, any information on the Internet will cost people's lives. Uh, whether that is the correct thing for this society to allow it to happen, what do you think of that statement?
1: It, it seems like the police are in, uh, trying to enforce the sale of untested pharmaceutical products if you really strip it uh, right down, Mike. So they're, they're, they're acting like a corporate police force. And this is what we saw with the anti fracking uh, demonstrations as well. They were protecting uh, INEOS and IGAS and these. These companies are blatantly going out to protect and to work with the corporation uh, and and serve the corporation's needs and not uh, the needs uh, per se of of all the residents.
0: Do you think it's wise to allow the police to decide what the right kind of thing to say is?
1: Uh, No, it it doesn't because they're not in a position to be able to uh, regulate and police uh, what is uh, any speech, quite frankly, let alone what is a medical or scientific fact which should be open for debate in the public domain. That is the whole basis of the principle of science.
0: Um, so Neil Bass's comments come at the same time that Counterterrorism Policing UK is uh, uh, saying on Twitter, for example, we've partnered with NetMums to help parents better understand why they need to have online radicalization on the radar and how they can protect their children against risk and where to go for support. So in one sense, we have the suggestion that the the police intelligence gathering is mainly geared towards the likes of Black Lives Matter or Extinction Rebellion. Then we've got this notion that radicalization is something that really needs to be uh, linked to Muslim radicalization, because that's generally what's uh, assumed whenever people see a comment like this. But I just want to remind everybody from Monday's program, if you didn't see it, the BBC pushed this uh, article out uh, by the lovely Mariana Spring, uh, entitled, Where is the Anti-Lockdown Movement Headed? And they very much presented the notion that the anti-lockdown movement is effectively a gateway drug towards something harder, like uh, you know, heroin or so, or, or crack cocaine or something like that.
1: Or extinction rebellion.
0: <laughs> well, no, not just, really. No, I'm just no, kidding. I'm they just are kidding. absolutely suggesting that uh, uh, the anti-lockdown movement is radicalizing people towards the right wing, and they're becoming right-wing extremists.
1: Well, I think what they're really afraid of is radicalizing people towards independent thought and critical thinking. Right. That seems to be what the establishment at every turn is trying to shut down.
0: Okay. And one of the ways that they're doing that is, is by, uh, of course, getting people to uh, call the police when they think a member of their family is being radicalized because perhaps they're questioning uh, the lockdown narrative. So,
1: daub in your family, your neighbors. Absolutely. Just like in East Germany.
0: But we must remember what Mariana Spring is. Of course, she is the award-winning specialist reporter covering disinformation. And social media
1: what awards does she want I wonder I, I don't know what but
0: uh, what do you, do you think want? about this term disinformation
1: disinformation that's interesting the BBC would use that as a job title disinformation and so I thought and we thought Mike and we thought where have we heard this term before and then all of a sudden it came to us it's Uncle Joe It's Uncle Joe, so. Uh,
0: You gotta be clarify which Uncle Joe you mean, because there's a new Joe, of course, on the block, which might be assumed to be- Oh, no, no,
1: no, Uncle Joe Stalin. Uh Uncle Uncle Joe Stalin invented the term uh, disinformation here, so we thought Mariana might be interested to know where she got her job title here, is Uncle Joe looking dashing, of course, in this particular depiction of him, one of his better portraits made for him. Joseph Stalin coined the term disinformation, okay? And the reason uh, he did this as well is because the Soviet uh, Union began to use this in, in this frame, uh, the Special Disinformation Office uh, in 1923. Uh, so disinformation uh, defined in the Great Soviet Encyclopedia in 1952, so it's official, as false information with the intention to deceive public opinion. That's what the BBC normally says Uh, what disinformation is, or they use it simultaneously with misinformation, Mike. So what does that mean? What does that bring us? Well, it kind of brings us here. You've probably seen that logo, the merger of the BBC and the Soviet uh, hammer and sickle there. And of course, Uncle Joe dashingly looking on there uh, in his great creation, disinformation. So we thought we'd just give her a little history lesson. But look at this. This is what the World Health Organization have been doing now for Uh, about 15, 16 months. And they're partnering with, or the censorship is being provided by Google uh, and YouTube here. And this tells you this little guide here, how to assess what is medical misinformation according to uh, the WHO. But mind you, Mike, these these rules and regulations change daily uh, with regards to the WHO and then how YouTube and Google are interpreting those. So that's what we've got, this massive censorship apparatus That's very reminiscent, Mike, of what the Chinese information firewall uh, from the Communist Party of China or the Soviet Union or any. Saudi Arabia has a very similar Mm. uh, program as well. Loosening up a little bit, it's still like that in, in the UAE, Saudi Arabia and some of these countries. So we've adopted all of these authoritarian systems and are trying to implement them aggressively, aggressively in the West. And covid is the pretext for all of that you have to be able to look past the virus and look at what governments uh, are actually doing and their media partners and their silicon valley big tech partners what are they actually doing amongst all of this crisis they're implementing an author a permanent authoritarian system that is the end of democracy you lose free speech you can lose everything
0: Okay, on Monday's program then, uh, we brought you the news that uh, the MHRA had released their new business plan and uh, how they're going to help the industry develop, the life sciences industry develop. And then on Wednesday, we brought you the uh, UK government's announcements about the latest developments and and how they see the life sciences industry building in the UK. Um, Well, we've got more news today because uh, you'll all be glad to know that the UK is now offering genomic sequencing capacity and capability to Pakistan. Now, why would they be doing that, Patrick? Well, this is part of the new ver- the new variant assessment platform, NVAP, NVAP. Uh, this is a program uh, which will help uh, Pakistan to draw on UK expertise and support to detect quickly new and potentially more dangerous variants of COVID-19. So this is all about Pakistan being able to develop, uh, to, to find the Delta variant within their country. Uh, but also now uh, we've got a new one, the,
1: uh, the, lambda lambda variant. Uh, oh, we've
0: got yeah. uh, iota coming, uh, not too far down the road. Iota, yeah,
1: that will be the good one. It will indeed. It'll be interesting. No one will be able to find it. Okay, not so one iota,
0: not one iota. So uh, the UK is a world leader in geno- genomic sequencing for COVID variants, uh, and the second largest contributor to the international database for the variants. Uh, through this agreement, um, they are going to share expertise and provide reagents. Uh, to increase genomic sequencing capacity in Pakistan. Uh, This support will also include technical advice on bioinformatics workflow and technical processes. So just so everybody knows, the uh, new variant assessment platform is a program announced by the Secretary of State for Health in January this year. Uh, It aims to offer UK support globally to SARS-CoV-2, new variant identification programs in countries that wish to monitor the variants circulating in their populations, but do not themselves have the capability to identify those variants. So how could it go wrong?
1: Well, just like with PCR, with this new uh, layer of detection, super-duper protection, Mike, uh, to find anything, anything whatsoever that they can find and then run it through their system, whether it's through PCR or whether it's through genomic sequencing to provide the evidence that there are cases running amok, okay? Meanwhile, this same g- the genetic fragments that they are uh, picking up And these are always amongst us, always in society, throughout history, in fact. How did we survive as a race, Mike? How did we make it this far? No idea. This many million years, without all of these great tools of bioinformatics, how did we even survive? Uh,
0: But uh, the Delta fears appear to have uh, messed up the Olympics.
1: Well, yeah, it was all going swimmingly well, Mike. Uh, The Japanese spent a few billion preparing for the Olympics, And then all of a sudden, the bioinformaticians uh, got out their PCR tests and they found out that the Delta variant was on the loose uh, in Tokyo. So guess what? They're banning all spectators from any Olympic venues in and around Tokyo because a surge uh, in cases. Allegedly, this is the Delta variant. They're probably using the same methodology that Imperial College was using in that last study. I wouldn't doubt it for a second. Here we go. The latest state of emergency scare is a direct result of an increase in PCR testing and computer model predictions about the possible spread of an alleged Delta variant, which health experts claim is surging through the Tokyo metropolitan area. That sounds pretty scary, doesn't it, Mike? Yes. But if there wasn't any PCR testing, the stadiums would be full. Because guess what? What did we see in Wembley uh, the other night? Did you see all the fans pouring out of the stadium? Well, I intentionally didn't, but I'm sure they were there. I've never seen so many people so tightly packed in one space ever. And also the stadiums uh, in Europe are generally full during the uh, tournament. And so, I mean, there's no problem or risk. So they're literally manufacturing uh, an extension of the pandemic. So this will just never end until people put their foot down and, and say, enough is enough. This is just getting ridiculous so i feel really bad for japan and this is the most masked country uh, in the world maybe more people wear masks in japan so apparently it doesn't stop the delta no doesn't stop the delta uh,
0: but as we said lambda's on the way
1: the lambda variant now that's the one to really be worried about mike the lambda variant not to be confused with the lombada variant that will be coming out of brazil uh in not too not too long from now but lambda this room, what does it remind you of? Remember this film, Revenge of the Nerds, Mike, in, in the 80s, one of the great classic uh, 80s from Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. That was the fraternity of the nerds. So this is, uh, but we we did a little bit of a, Mike, an update on the Lambda, Lambda, Lambda fraternity there. And what do we have there? You have Chris Witte there on the left, and of course, Billy Goats uh, in the middle, Mark Zuckerberg, and below that is an actual sketch. Proper, accurately scaled size of Anthony Fauci, not to be confused with a young Mel Brooks there. So Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. So it is really Revenge of the Nerds. They won in the end, Mike. This this film was so yes. prescient that what we've witnessed over the last 15 months, Mike, is a, a revenge of the nerds. Uh, the nerds have taken over, led by Herr Gates and Herr Schwab and all the rest of these characters. They They have literally hijacked government and public life. I mean, we joke about it, but it's actually horrific uh, what has happened.
0: Um, But coming back to the uh, genomics sequencing uh, story for a second, uh, because this is another uh, great example of life sciences industry in the UK pressing forward. Now this is Genomics England. I'm still getting lots and lots of emails from people saying that Matt Hancock is the biggest shareholder of Genomics England. Well, that's not quite correct because he's lost his job as uh, everybody knows. Uh, in fact, it's the Secretary of State for Health, which is the shareholder of Genomics England. So that means uh, Sajid Javid is the new one, uh, and he will be until he leaves the role, and then the next person will take over in that position. But anyway, this is a new public dialogue, uh, finds support for the whole genomic sequence uh, sequencing of newborns, um, providing that the right safeguards and resources are in place. So I wonder what those safeguards might be. Let's have a look at what they're saying. It would be acceptable to identify a wider set of conditions than the current newborn screening program if they impact the infant in early childhood and if there are treatments and interventions to cure, prevent, slow progression or personalized treatment. So it would be okay to go ahead with genomic sequencing if you identify uh, genetic ailments in uh, infants and uh, it would be fine as long as there's a cure or prevention or some kind of way to slow the progression uh, or to personalize. Treatments. Uh, they go on to say that genetic counselling and mental health assistance must be available to those who receive a diagnosis. Um, but we're talking about the genome, whole genome sequencing of newborns, so I'm not clear where how they get mental health assistance at that stage.
1: Genetic counselling. Yes. So what you uh, is this because mental health is a genetic issue? Is that what they're inferring? But, it seems like it. It's possible. Yeah.
0: Uh, a comprehensive genetic database should be established so people from ethnic minority backgrounds are not disadvantaged by receiving more uncertain or less accurate diagnoses than the rest of the population.
1: Inclusivity. Inclusivity and equity. Equity in our genetic surveillance.
0: Yes. Uh, and then the full complexities of whole genomic sequencing must be recognized with consent processes, including its implications for the wider family, Uh, that 21st century families come in many forms. Ah, I see. Okay. Uh, And uh, then uh, that while parents give consent on behalf of the newborn, the child may have a different view as they grow up, including on genomics data being used for research. So I'm not clear whether that means that there's going to be some kind of a mechanism that as you grow up, if you've had your whole genome sequenced when you were a baby, that you then have the right for that data to be deleted. I'm not clear that that's uh, really... What they're saying. Uh, I'm sorry, I've, I've uh, mis- made a mistake with the animation there, but then the final one is the screening test uh, has potential to look for many more conditions than current new before- newborn screening tests, so that it can be expanded under those circumstances. And so This is the final one then. If consent is so- sought for genome data to be used for research, the data must be anonymized and used to deliver improved diagnoses, treatment, and care. Um, the whole notion of anonymizing data is nonsense. It's always easy to uh, uh, actually identify uh, so-called anonymized data at a later date.
1: You know where this is heading, don't you, this initiative? They're they're selling it as, uh, oh, we need to basically uh, take the uh, genetic information of all newborns so that we can customize medical treatment for them if they have a problem or identify uh, what problems they might have later in life. Uh, We're moving very close towards designer babies. Okay. And and that's one of the sort of logical progressions of this types of uh, technology. So, and again, that also dovetails with uh, eugenics. Imagine if they had these uh, tools in Victorian times when they're measuring people's skulls uh, to see how intelligent they were and then ordering people by race and uh, ethnicity uh, along some hierarchical line in the great uh, Victorian medical uh, uh, escapades.
0: I think that's absolutely right. But I would also add, uh, Patrick, that if, if we look at, uh, for example, the use of uh, smart meters in the energy markets, uh, many people are concerned about the health impacts of smart meters. But actually, the the, the another concern that people mostly miss is the fact that uh, what is being done with smart meters is that people's energy use habits are being uh, monitored, and then they will be charged appropriately. And we'll get to the point where Um, As the wholesale price of energy changes throughout the day, then your use of energy will be charged appropriately. The same goes with this. Um, Eventually medical care as it is personalized will also be charged based on your genetic makeup. You are more likely to suffer from certain types of cancer or you're more likely to suffer from certain types of other illness. Your medical costs will go up as a result. You will not only get personalized care, you will get personalized um, bills and, and that, that's a big part of it as well, I think. And
1: who's to stop the state, Mike, from doing a cost-benefit analysis on the genetic screening of an embryo before it's born and then make some sort of decision uh, as to whether the child, because uh, they might have some risk factor, should they be allowed to live, is going to cost them more to have the baby or not. Yes. And then they would advise on that basis. I mean, I'm, that might sound extreme, but you know, a lot of the things that we're seeing now... That are being rolled out and spoken about in these policy think tanks and quangos are c- would be considered extreme twenty years ago. Mm. So I, I wouldn't rule any of this out, and certainly the the juggernaut of technology on this is is huge, and there's a lot of mon- money in it as well. So we'll see.
0: Uh, more good news uh, because there are three new reports out, uh, um, which three new studies. Uh, on the real world use of rapid uh, COVID-19 tests, this is one, asymptomatic testing for SARS-CoV-2 using antigen detecting lateral flow devices. Uh, here's another one, key point summary, asymptomatic testing for SARS-CoV-2 using antigenetic, anti, antigen detecting lateral flow devices. Uh, that's from a different uh, organization. And this one is a technical report on in vitro and clinical post-market surveillance of biotime SARS-CoV-2 lateral flow antigen devices. So three reports, the government's very excited about it. They're saying that findings from these three studies on the real world use of rapid tests have confirmed their effectiveness under a variety of conditions, demonstrating the reliability and adaptability of these tests. Um, And alongside the the phenomenal scale and breadth of the rollout of the vaccination program, and the hands face space guidance, regular testing is a vital tool uh, to stop transmission uh, as the country follows the roadmap and starts to reopen. But sadly, Patrick, that I'm not sure that they've considered the possibility that the tests are being gamed. Now we've mentioned this a couple of times on the programme already, but the BBC has now decided that they have to mention it as well. How children are spoofing COVID-19 tests with soft drinks. Uh, we showed on this programme a week or so ago, uh, the a Canadian, I think it was uh, MP who was uh, who was using Coca-Cola to spoof his COVID nineteen test. Uh, and then um, of course, fruit juice is the uh, method of choice for school children in the UK in order to get an early summer holiday. But my question then is, uh, what effect is that having on the test results?
1: I don't know. The, ki- the ones that kids like is the bottom of the trainer to swab the bottom of the trainer is usually also another popular one usually get a positive on that, too.
0: Yes. Now, track and trace. Uh, This is Dr. Max Pemberton in the mail. Why doctors like me have chosen to delete the NHS test and trace app. Of course, it's been highly successful. Uh, for the British government, the uh, minister is saying it's successful almost every day of the week, so it must be. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, he says, when I downloaded the NHS Test and Trace app, I thought it was going. I was doing something sensible, digital, uh, digi- diligent, and public spirited. Like many of my medical colleagues, I believed I was doing my bit to stop the spread of COVID nineteen. Soon, though, we began to realize it wasn't so simple. The reality of working in a hospital meant we were surrounded with people, by people with COVID. We couldn't avoid them particularly at the height of the pandemic. Colleagues were constantly being sent home to isolate, even like even if like me, they were double jabbed. Uh, patients were suffering as a result. Uh, and so it goes on. But he's basically making the point that they're now starting to delete the uh, test and trace app because they're getting so many false positives because they're walking past people that have already been identified through a bogus PCR test, perhaps, uh, that they are uh, positive and therefore they're getting pinged by the the app. Now, the, the thing is that, of course, the government has said they're going to relax this slightly, or they're trying to relax this somewhat. Uh, but uh, Richard Walker, who was the uh, who's the boss of uh, the supermarket, uh, Iceland, uh, said that the, the new rules ease of easing are going to be a problem for business. Our COVID-related absences are growing exponentially. Within a week or two, they'll be the highest ever. How can this be? Uh,
1: I don't know. That's a good question a lot of us can't figure it out yet. Certainly, if you're looking at the official data, even their data, it doesn't seem to match with some of these diktats and proclamations.
0: Well, let's look at some of the official data. This is presented by the Mail. Uh, percentage change in infection rates across England for the week ending July the fourth, twenty twenty one. And I have to say, I have a problem whenever we uh, start looking at percentages, Patrick, because when you've got almost nothing, and you know we're looking at uh, Devon there, for example, which is uh, you know, 50% and higher
1: increase. Percent of what? Uh, Well, exactly. They don't say. So this is just fake news, basically, uh, embellishing, exaggerating, overblowing something that's not actually there.
0: Uh, But don't worry, because uh, some Britons crave permanent uh, pandemic lockdown. Uh, This is based on a survey run by Ipsos Mori for for The Economist. Uh, And this is the This is the results, Patrick. Uh, Masks in shops, apparently, what's that, 40% of people in the UK uh, want permanent masks in shops and on public transport. Do you think that's likely?
1: Uh, Don't know, don't know, but uh, it's disturbing nonetheless. Uh,
0: We've got uh, 35% wanting a permanent 10-day quarantine on return from holiday. We've got, what's that, 18, 19% of people, they claim, want a permanent 10 p.m. curfew.
1: Really? That's interesting. Maybe they're home playing video games and watching Netflix and other things they shouldn't be doing. So anyway, there's good news, Mike. They can all go to the Republic of Ireland because the pubs are still closed there. So just ship them over there and uh, sign on over there for UBI.
0: Okay, what's going on in the United States then?
1: Well, uh, there's a disturbing uh, thing going on, Mike. The government, uh, the White House, the Biden administration wants to go door to door. To, to chase down any remaining unvaccinated people. <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, let's listen to Jen Psaki here, the White House spokesperson, and Biden.
3: We are going to continue to press to get 12 to 18 year olds vaccinated, to continue to uh,
0: work uh, with communities where there's lower vaccination rates. That's one of the reasons we initiated these um, d- these for- these strike forces to go into communities and work with them to determine what they need. Because here's the deal. We are continuing to wind down the mass vaccination sites that did so much in the spring to rapidly vaccinate those eager to get their first shot and their second shot, for that matter, if they needed a second. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Look equity, equality, it remains at the heart of our responsibility of ensuring the communities that are the hardest hit by the virus have the information and the access to get vaccinated. So, as we shift from these centralized mass, mass vaccination sites where we're doing thousands of people a day,
2: Next year, we'll be in the phase of chasing up people who haven't come forward to get their vaccination or have missed their bookings and so on. So uh, everyone will be able to get a vaccine between now and the end of the year. Uh, but of course, you know, and, and I want every New Zealander to come forward. But human behaviour suggests that there will be some people that we have to actually really go out and look for, uh, and and some of that may spill into next year. But our commitment is everyone will have the opportunity to get the vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, everyone will, uh, but I, I can't say that you know that we're not going to have some hesitant people or some. People People who just haven't come forward that we don't have to go out and find next year.
0: Right, so we're going to go out and find them.
1: So this isn't just uh, the US, Mike. There's other countries that are basically taking the same policy there. So it looks like it's been agreed at the high uh, Davos level or at the G7 level or whatever level uh, that this is just going to be the way that governments are going to pursue this. So they're literally they want total 100% uh, compliance as well. Now listen to Anthony Fauci here. Uh, head of the NIH, still working uh, even at his ripe old age. Uh, Listen to what he says here. This is not complicated. We're not asking anybody to make any political statement one way or another. We're saying, try and save your life and that of your family and that of the community. It's, you know, we have so many things, as you said, so many diseases that I deal with that don't have solutions. It's very frustrating. You don't have a treatment. Or you don't have a vaccine here. We have a vaccine that's highly, highly effective in preventing disease and certainly in preventing severe disease and hospitalization. It's easy to get. It's free and it's readily available. So you know, you've got to ask, what is the problem? Get over it. Get over this political statement. Just get over it and try and save the lives of yourself and your family
0: is that what it is a political statement
1: Uh, it's a political statement by him it's a political statement by biden
0: what's with the hard sell it's are they not getting the uptake that they were hoping for
1: apparently not uh, and they're not getting it mike actually and so they are going totally making it into a political issue okay now uh, the vice president kamala harris who doesn't do that many media opportunities because she's not a great communicator Let's just uh, be honest about it. But she did this uh, sit-down interview with the Black Entertainment Channel, BET, uh, and here she goes, and you you will not believe, this is with Soledad O'Brien throwing softball pitches to Kamala, and she's just rattling off some of the craziest statements uh, you can imagine. Listen very closely.
3: One in three black people in America know somebody who has died from this disease. And, and here's the other point that I will make. Virtually everyone who is in a hospital right now because of COVID-19 is unvaccinated. Virtually everyone who has died from COVID-19 was unvaccinated. So the thing that I just want to remind folks of is that you have the power. Don't let anybody take your power from you. You have the power to save your life. You have the power to make a decision about what happens to your body. Don't let people dupe you into thinking that this thing is not going to help you. It will help you, and it will save your life.
1: The Orwellian doublespeak there is just (laughs) unbelievable. What jumped out uh, for you on that clip?
0: Well, the fact that she was suggesting that uh, the only way to um, save your life is to Make sure you get jabbed. What was it she said? Uh, um, you know, you have control of your body.
1: Yeah, she's saying, oh, you know, that, yeah, it's uh, take control of you. It's your body. It's your body, your choice. So she's inverting all of the sort of uh, skeptic or uh, opposition positions there and turning that into a pro-vax uh, call to action. So she's firstly using race uh, as a, uh, you know, she's what, done a straw poll? That one out of every three black people know somebody who's died of COVID. I mean, what is she can't possibly know that. That's what is that? It's like me saying I know one out of three people I know know somebody who's had a serious adverse reaction or has died after taking the vaccine. I mean, how can I validate that? Actually, I probably look at the yellow card and Vars data and be pretty close. And then saying everyone in a hospital uh, ward uh, with COVID is unvaccinated, and that everyone who has died was unvaccinated no, but she
0: didn't say that she said virtually everyone virtually and so, so there is definitely, almost yes, everyone that could that could mean anything <laughs> that's virtually in the in the ad sense you know because that that literally could mean any number
1: totally disingenuous totally disingenuous in that so she's basically blaming saying everyone who died of covid in the last year or died with covid or however you keep the records is because they didn't have a vaccine mm. so the total narrative Uh, management here and this is propaganda writ large on a scale that we've uh, never had don't let them take your power away Mike by uh, those anti-vaxxers but but I mean in terms
0: of the the numbers of deaths that those numbers must be fixed and understood by now
1: well not really Uh, a lot of including this heart of the Silicon Valley here uh, or somebody go back uh, go back two slides there the heart
3: one in three black people here Mike
1: this is, uh, they're already revising their, de- their sacred death toll. Uh, they've cut it down here, Alameda County up in the, bay, uh, the East Bay. And this is Silicon Valley, Santa Clara County, down, cutting it by 22% by auditing the data. Now, if they did this across the whole state of California, across the whole country, uh, you'd have a very different sacred death count. Mm. And I say sacred because it's treated like a religious thing. And the, this one is in Portugal. This is quite interesting here. Portuguese court. Uh, allows presentation here and rules that uh, only 0.9% of previous verified cases actually died of COVID-19 here. And so I think that 17,000 was the number government officials have been touting in the media. And so according to this uh, presentation here at this court, uh, they've reduced that to 152 uh, deaths from COVID. So in other words, no other comorbidities involved. And they could say that according to this, that covid was the cause Mm. of death and it wasn't any other uh, long-term chronic uh, health conditions right so common sense common sense that we've been saying this for a very long time very long time so it's starting to come out here mike but uh take a look look at this absolutely disgraceful uh, vandalism we absolutely oppose this sort of thing don't we yes this is in proportion to You look at this this as a covid vaccination center here this was a beautiful gold and black sign before somebody took a marker to it, Mike. Unbelievable, this is so shocking. They wrote experimental COVID-19 vaccination center in trials until 2023. That can't be true. That can't be true and uh, so forth. So test subjects this way, please. Yes. So absolutely shocking as is this as well. We'll leave it on this, Mike. Uh, This is a warning here. Remember to get vaccinated or a vaccinated person might get sick, from the virus they got vaccinated against because you're not vaccinated
0: that is uh that is extremely important that this kind of uh, meme is going out because of course this is the narrative which is going to be uh we're going to hear much more of over the winter
1: so screenshot it share it and uh get people to turn their brains on uh, going into the fall when the lambda and the iota and all hit, the other hit the streets all the other variants
0: yes Kovi is confused. Coroni, oh, sorry, is confused. Coroni's
1: confused, and so are we, and so yes. are you.
0: But don't worry, yeah. uh, we'll be back uh, on Monday at 1 p.m. as usual. Um, thank you for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. I hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye bye.